uh, say what they mean and mean what they say. I want to start off our time this morning by looking at a few prayers of some children, if that's all right. Dear Lord, do you ever get mad? My mother says God never gets mad except when children don't do their homework. Your friend Larry, age seven. Given that the race to the White House is heating up, I, I thought one girl's prayer was especially timely. Harriet from Lynchburg uttered the following prayer. Dear Lord, are there any good Christians in Washington? <laughs> Dear Lord, thank you for the best mother and father in the world. And thank you, Lord, for my brother. He is not the best brother in the world, but he is the only brother I have. <laughs> Jennifer, age eight. Little Angela echoed Jennifer's sentiment when she prayed, Dear Lord, this is my prayer. Could you please give my brother some brains? So far, he doesn't have any. And how about eight-year-old David's prayer? Dear Lord, do you listen to everybody's prayer every night? If you do, you don't have time to do anything else like taking care of the world. Lastly, a dad was listening to his child say her prayers. Dear Harold, wait a minute, honey. How come you called God Harold? The little girl looked up and said, that's what they call him in church. You know the prayer we say, our Father who art in heaven, Harold be thy name. <laughs> and then there was this particular four-year-old who prayed, and forgive us our trash baskets as we forgive those who put trash in our baskets. <laughs> the prayer of those children captures what Jesus modeled in his mountainside sermon in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus teaches us that true prayer is an honest, intimate, and relational act rather than a mindless religious ritual. Last week, Pastor Jim reminded us that relational prayer is prayer that acknowledges the person of God, our Father, who is holy, who is special, who is sovereign, who takes care of us. Pastor reminded us that Relational prayer is prayer that seeks God's plan, God's plan to rescue and restore a broken world. And prayer that's relational is prayer that allows us to seek God's provision, God's care in our lives. This morning, let's spend some time examining the Lord's Prayer. In doing so, I believe we'll discover three more spiritual truths that confirm the importance of honest, open communication between us and our Heavenly Father. So if you would open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6, verse 8. Today I'll be reading verses 8b through 15 in the New King James Version. If you do not have a Bible with you, you should be able to follow along on the screen here. For your Father knows the things you have need of before you ask Him. In this manner, therefore, pray. Our Father in Heaven... How would be your name? Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither 
Will your Heavenly Father forgive your trespasses? Let's pray and ask God just to open our hearts and minds before we begin our study today. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this truth. We thank you that on that mountain, thousands of years ago, that our Savior taught his followers the essence of true, relational, intimate prayer. And that we can read this truth, we can study it today, and that same message for that band of disciples is for us today. Help us, Lord, to examine your word. Amen. You see, honest, sincere prayer means that we should ask for God's pardon. We read, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Sincere prayer means we must ask God's pardon. But we should remember every time we approach the throne of God that this is possible because of Jesus who pardoned our sins. Like inmates on death row, he came and pardoned us. Each of us has accrued a spiritual debt that we in ourselves cannot pay. We've sinned against our creator and judgment is upon us. We deserve full punishment for our sinful ways. Said another way, we've done the crime, so now we must do the time. Yet God, in his infinite love, sent Jesus to die for our sins. In doing so, he took the penalty upon himself, the very penalty that was due us, and he pardoned us from our sins. He forgave us. When we embrace faith in Jesus Christ, acknowledging that he saved us, and that he is above all, all religious systems, all ideologies, all worldviews, We are saved. That freedom means that we can come to God without hesitation or limitation. Although our sin debt has been paid and paid in full, we aren't perfect yet, are we? Let's just face it, we're not perfect yet. And so we must continually come to him seeking his forgiveness. Among certain folks, there's a mindset. That mindset is... Something like this, now that I've been pardoned, now that God's forgiven me, I can do what I want. I'm good to go. I, you see, I have my ticket to heaven, and so I can live how I want to live. Can you imagine a death row inmate who is pardoned by the governor, perhaps of armed robbery and assault and homicide, who then, once free, heads out on a crime spree with the mindset that, hey, he's good to go, he can do whatever he wants. Foolishness. We wouldn't even think of that. It makes no sense. Yet some of us live our lives that way. I'm good with God, so now I can live my way. Sure, we don't say that. We might not think that, but sometimes that's how we live. But transparent prayer means that we're honest with God about our problems, about our sins, about our wrongdoings. Every time we disobey God's laws, His standards of truth and love, We hurt our relationship with God. Here in this lesson, Jesus teaches us that we do not need to let sin alienate us from our Heavenly Father. We can approach Him. We can seek His pardon for our wrongdoings. 1 John 1.9 says, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. 
Not only does honest prayer help improve our relationship with God, but it helps improve our relationship with one another. As Christ followers who have been forgiven, we should never forget that forgiveness, the forgiveness of our sins, is contingent upon us forgiving others. It's it's not a pretty thought. But verse 12 says it right here. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Forgive us our trespasses. Forgive us our wrongdoings as we forgive those who did us wrong. Can you imagine Peter or Andrew sitting on that hilltop listening to Jesus? I think they probably freaked out. What are you talking about? What did you just say? I thought thought you said we need to forgive our enemies. That we need to forgive those who have hurt us. Surely you must have misspoken. But you know, Jesus meant every word he spoke on that hillside. To further elaborate his point on the importance of us forgiving others, Jesus said, he, really, he upped the ante. And he said this, For if you forgive men their trespasses, we're not talking about walking on someone's private land, we're talking about wrongdoings, your Heavenly Father will also forgive you. But, there is that word there, But if you do not forgive them their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Friends, we cannot expect to have peace with God if we do not have peace with those we see, those we live with, those we work with, those we drive next to in our sedans. To have peace with our Savior, we must come to peace with others. A few weeks ago, I received an email newsletter in my inbox It came from my alma mater, Evangel University. And in this email newsletter was an article about an alumnus and author by the name of Rebecca. Rebecca, just the other year, wrote a book called The Devil and Pew Number 7. Growing up, Rebecca never felt safe. When she was very young, her parents moved to Sellerstown, North Carolina, There, her father took the post of pastor at a local church. And it seemed like everyone in the community loved him and really embraced the family, except except for one man, a man by the name of Horry Watts. And Watts was the kind of fellow that called the shots in town. You see, he soon harbored a grudge against Pastor Robert. So much so that over the next six years, he waged a relentless Assault on Rebecca and her family. Pastor Robert and his family received threatening phone calls and letters, damage to their property, shootings, and bombings. In an interview with CBN, Rebecca recounted how one bomb blast shattered the window of her infant brother's bedroom. Thankfully, he wasn't harmed. Pastor Robert And his family felt very strongly that they were not to leave town. The Lord had called and led them to this church. And they had developed a relationship with their church family. They would not be run out of town. Their refusal to get out of Dodge pushed Mr. Watts even further over the edge. Watts convinced Harris William, a local drunk, to do his dirty work. And while Rebecca's family was preparing the dinner table, Williams, armed with three guns, barged into their kitchen and forever changed Rebecca's life. In front of her very eyes, she saw her mother and father gunned down. Her mother died, only to be followed by the father's untimely departure just ten years later. Watson Williams were arrested and served jail time. 
Some years later, Rebecca received a telephone call. It was Horry Watts. The once hardened man revealed that while in prison, he had come to accept Jesus Christ as his personal Savior. While he had received forgiveness from the Lord, he told Rebecca that he could not leave this world without knowing if she would ever forgive him. Rebecca replied, telling Mr. Watts, I have forgiven you years ago. You see, in the years leading up to the assassination, Rebecca remembered her parents modeling forgiveness and prayer. As a family, they would pray for Mr. Watts' heart to soften and for him to surrender his life to the Lord. They would pray and ask God to help them forgive him for his evil deeds. It was with God's help that Rebecca learned to forgive the man that had tortured and ultimately torn apart her family. And just recently, some 30, 33, 34 years after the fact, the gunman, Harris Williams, sought Rebecca's forgiveness. A few weeks ago, Rebecca and her brother appeared on the Dr. Phil show. There on national television, she faced the man that gunned down her mother. She had not seen him since that fateful day. Amazingly, the two embraced As I watched the video clip, I was astonished to see her hugging the very man who had killed her mother. You would have thought that they were the closest friends. You see, God gave her the courage to forgive. You and I have never had a gunman barge into our kitchen and gun down our loved ones. But I'm sure there isn't a soul in this auditorium that has not had their character assassinated by slanderous words. Perhaps the gossip and lies of a co-worker, or worse, a friend, have mowed you down. Maybe someone here today can say that they've had their innocence stolen, their trust murdered. Perhaps like the Emperor Caesar, you felt the daggers pierce as a confidant stabbed you in the back. Or quite possibly there are some here who, like our very Savior, have experienced the kiss of a Judas. Let's face it. Hurt and pain are inevitable. We can't live this life without someone hurting us. And if we're honest, without us hurting them. Jesus knows this. Jesus knows this. He also knows that the cancer that riddles our hearts and minds is hate and bitterness. That's why he wants us to seek his pardon and while at the same time reach out in forgiveness towards others. Forgiveness is the elixir that cleanses our souls of hate. Just as Rebecca discovered, there is great freedom when we forgive. When we seek God's forgiveness, he gives us the strength to forgive others. You see, we are forgiven to forgive. Forgiven to forgive. And ourselves, we can't do it. You and I, we cannot truly do it. But that's why we need an eternal perspective. Perhaps one of my favorite verses of all time. 1 John 4, 19. It's probably the tenth time, the nth time I've mentioned it to you. We love because he first loved us. We love because he first loved us. We forgive because he forgave us. In our own strength, we cannot overcome hatred. We can't overcome the hurt and the pain, the sorrow, the despair, 
the discomfort that even comes from being around the very person who has harmed us. That's why we have to cry out and ask for God to do a work in us, to heal us, to cleanse us of our sins, and to give us the strength to do the same for others. God, you've pardoned me. Now help me to forgive them. It's not easy, but if we reach out and ask for God's help, the Holy Spirit will make it possible. Secondly, honest prayer based on a relationship with Jesus Christ means that we can seek God's protection. We can ask for his pardon and we can seek his protection. Let's look at our text once more. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Let me reread that last verse. I like how the message translation gets straight to the point. Keep us safe from ourselves and from the devil. Keep us safe from ourselves and the devil. Friends, we battle our own fleshly desires, as well as spiritual forces. There is an attack within, an attack from the outside. Let's face it, we're in a tug of war. In fact, that's the name of our next sermon series. Here Jesus is showing us the need to seek God's help and protection from the sinful temptations we all face and from the demonic attacks that come against us. We need... God to protect us from ourselves. The Apostle Paul knew this full well. In Romans chapter 7, he writes, It happens so regularly that it's predictable. The moment I decide to do good, sin is there to trip me up. I truly delight in God's commands. But it's pretty obvious that not all of me joins in that delight. Parts of me covertly rebel. And just when I least expect it, they take charge. I've tried everything and nothing helps. I'm at the end of my rope. Is there no one who can do anything for me? Isn't that the real question? The answer, thank God, is that Jesus Christ can and does. He acted to set things right in this life of contradictions. Where I want to serve God with all my heart and mind. But I am pulled by the influence of sin to do something totally different. Seeking God's protection means we're real with him about our weaknesses and that we're serious in our request for help. Sometimes we're tempted to to think that it's okay to to pray what I call a get-out-of-jail-free prayer. Now, if you've ever played the game of Monopoly, you know what it's like to land on community center or chance on those two spaces. And if you're lucky, you'll get to pick up that card that says get out of jail free. Should you roll the dice and find yourself incarcerated, you've got an out. Rather than pay the fine or attempt to roll doubles, you can cash in your lucky token and get out of a jam. Far too many of us do the same thing. We know what we're about to do or what we are currently doing is wrong, but we ask God to keep away the consequences, to keep them at bay. We know what we should do, but we don't do it. And all the while, we expect God to throw us a bone. That reminds me of little Timmy's prayer 
Timmy had been misbehaving in children's church and was isolated from the other children for time out. After a while, he emerged and informed his teacher that he had thought it over and then prayed about it. Fine, said his pleased teacher. If you ask God to help you not to misbehave, he will help you. Oh, I didn't ask him that, said Timmy. I asked him to help you put up with me. <laughs> Was that your prayer, Tim? Okay. Those, those, those kind of get-out-of-jail prayers usually look something like this. God, I know I shouldn't, but... Or God, if you... Fill in the blank. I promise, too. Before I surrendered my life to the Lord, I used to pray those prayers all the time. Sometimes as I'd head out for the nightclub, I'd know there was a good chance I was going to get hammered that night, but I'd say something like, God, please don't let me do anything really stupid tonight. Knowing full well that that was hypocrisy. Praying and asking God to protect us while living a life that's opposite of his wishes is an insult to God. It really is. It's an insult to God. It's dead, meaningless prayer. It's really, it's self-centered prayer. Alternatively, when we abandon that hypocrisy, when we become honest with God about our, our needs, about our issues, about the things that trip us up, we can begin to take measures to avoid sin. If you're serious about praying for God's help to fight temptation, then you've got to follow it up with action. That can be tough, but it's necessary. Uh, I mentioned this the other week, that I've been trying to eat a lot healthier. I've changed my diet. I've been working out. been doing a lot of things. This year, I have a resolution to run two 5Ks and a half marathon. <laughs> we'll see if that happens. But I'm pretty confident that I'm, I'm, I'm on my way there. But, you know, something happens to me late at night. I get cravings. I do. Not for White Castle. Don't get me wrong. I, I don't go there. But I get cravings. You know, I get the munchies. And... Um, it was happening a lot this past week, and uh, I read this article about if cravings come, they only last for about 15 minutes, and, and find a substitute. Begin to drink water, or get away, just walk away, uh, take a 15-minute walk, and you'll find that soon your, your, your body will move on and you won't be tempted anymore. I think there's some truth to that on a spiritual level. Um, if you're tempted by a particular sin, by a particular issue, whether it's rage, it's anger, it's envy, it's strife, it's gossip, it's lust, doesn't matter what it is, find a substitute. Uh, do something to get your mind off of that. Secondly, don't go there. Don't go there. Um, if you're tempted by pornography, don't go down the aisle that has racy magazines. Don't have your computer in a private location. Uh, be in public. Simple things like don't go there. Set up boundaries. If you're struggling with an issue, go to a Christian brother and sister and ask them to hold you accountable, to challenge you on issues. These are all steps for us to be serious about our sins. And when we're serious with our actions and our heart, God hears that. But our text is also clear that not only do we need protection from ourselves, we need protection from spiritual attack. The enemy is very real. John 10.10 reminds us that the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. 1 Peter 5, verses 8 through 9, warns us, Stay alert, watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Yet we have this hope. Jesus Christ has come so that we may have life and have it to the fullest. Jesus offers us an abundant life. 
God offers us his protection. That reminds me of that scene in Napoleon Dynamite. I love that movie. Youth pastors have to love that movie. There's a scene where the kid's getting beat up and they walk up to him and say, Pedro offers you his protection. If you know anything about it, Pedro runs for class president and during his speech, he says, one of the things we need in the school are statues of saints in the corners of the hallways to protect us from the evil spirits. Pedro offers you his protection. Friends, I'm not talking about a cheap slogan here. Really, I'm not talking about hokey superstition. Satan is constantly attacking us. But Jesus sent us the Holy Spirit to protect us, to guard our hearts and minds. Gut-level honest prayer means we acknowledge our need for God's protection from the enemy. When was the last time that you asked God to protect you from spiritual attack? Let's not underestimate the severity of the situation. The devil is working overtime to destroy our relationships. Our relationships with our spouses, with our children, with our family members, with our neighbors, with co-workers, and with one another. Most of all, he wants to dampen, damage, and utterly destroy our relationship with God the Father. That's why regular time reading the Bible, gathering at church with other believers... Prayer and other spiritual disciplines is so important. Just as shepherds protect the lamb from the wolves' attack, the closer we are to God, the harder it is for the devil to snatch us away. Being in the presence of God through prayer, through fasting, through meditation, through reading His truth gives us the strength to fight off temptation and to ward off spiritual attack. Not only can we confidently come to God asking for his protection from the devil's attacks, but we can and should be interceding on the behalf of others. Now, that's a big word, interceding. Interceding or intercessory prayer means that we are a go-between, that we are standing between that, that person and God, and we are praying on their behalf. That's really what a priest is. A priest is a go-between. Scripture says that all of us who have accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, we are a part of the priesthood. We have been given the assignment to pray for other people. So often our prayers are focused on me. God, give me, give me, give me. Lord, do this for me, do this for me. But God says that's, that's, that's not what prayer is really about. Sure, we can bring our needs to God. And as Pastor Jim mentioned last week, God will provide But God also eagerly desires us to stand in that gap and pray for those who are struggling, those who are hurting, those who are lost and confused and need Jesus in their lives. What an awesome privilege for us to stand in between and pray for other people. I cannot begin to tell you how many people that I have prayed for. And I'll be honest, it may have been one or two words uttered here or there, or it may be people that I pray for every single day. Some of them know it, and they're so grateful. Some of them have never and will never know it. But I still pray. You know, Kim and I had trouble conceiving Jonathan, and uh, it took, what, 10 or 11 years. In that time, we've met so many couples that have dealt with infertility issues. It's amazing. Right now, in my Bible that I do my morning devotions, I have the list of four couples, four uh, pastors and their spouses, Each one of them have been trying to conceive and bear a child. And as much as possible, every day I pray for God to work in that situation. I've been through it. And I 
want to beseech the throne of God on their behalf. I don't know the particulars. I don't know what's going on medically, but I, I just have to go to God and say, God, do a great work here. Sometimes my prayer is, God, just give them peace to last through this storm. And I'll tell you this much. I've been blessed by those that have prayed for me. Just recently, I was facing some real serious issues in my life, and I had no faith. I, I really was discouraged. I was really um, doubting God. And I, I just called one friend. I text messaged another. I said, listen, I don't have faith to deal with this. You need to pray for me. And you know, they began praying. Within days, I felt, I felt like God had given me a deeper trust. And that's been lasting for a month now to deal with this particular issue in my life. And I thank those friends for standing in the gap, for being a go-between. My own great-grandmother who passed away at the age of 103, October 31st, 1997, was a prayer warrior. She would pray and pray and pray and pray, and my mom would get on the phone and say, Mark's done this again. You know, and this is what the kids are up to. And the whole chain, the family had to know all my problems, all my issues. And great-grandmother would pray, and she would pray, and she would pray, and she would pray, and she would pray. July of 97, I went and saw her. I was on leave. Uh, I was stationed at Fort Benning, and I uh, made the road trip up to Chicago. She lives in, lived in Wheaton, and I went to see her. I'll tell you something ironic. It was my first date with Kim. How about that, guys? Single men? Why don't you take your lady to go see a dying woman uh, on her deathbed? Sounds really good, huh? Real classy, huh? You want to go out for steak afterwards? Um, but we were, Kim and I, it was our first date, and uh, she was smitten with me. And um, I, I said, we were heading out to the west suburbs, and I said, hey, my great-grandmother's not doing well. Do you mind if we stop in and just say hi? I haven't seen her for a while. And we did. We stopped in, and, and uh, my great-grandmother loved peanut butter. I don't know if you ever told you this story, but she loved peanut butter. And when she couldn't, she had the dexterity. She would scoop it out. But then she would just sometimes skip the spoon, and she would just lick at it right out of the jar. So she had this empty jar of uh, Skippy peanut butter on her bedside, uh, on her nightstand, and she mumbled, you know, she was blind, she was really skeletal, she was near death. She mumbled to Kim, you know, something about cleaning that jar. So here's Kim, I just met her, we're on our first date. She's in the kitchen cleaning out a used peanut butter jar. I had noticed that the commode, one of those um, toilets, you know, that, that's near the bed, that the, the nurse had neglected to change it. I was really, uh, I was disgusted. I was very mad that, that that fecal matter was left in her bedroom there. And so I set about emptying that waste. So I'm emptying the waste, Kim is cleaning the peanut butter jar, and I was talking to my great-grandmother, and we had a great time talking. She didn't talk so much, but I knew she heard me because she would squeeze my hand, and I read from the Psalms, and uh, she was so excited to hear God's word. Now, I have to tell you, I was wayward. I was really rebellious. I had walked away from my faith in Jesus Christ and was living a life, an open life of rebellion. I was a full full-bore, head-on hypocrite, uh, I just said, you know, I'm going to do what I want, and, and you know what, God, get me out of a jam. I, I had, you know, I, I had a stack of get-out-of-jail-free cards in my back pocket, and those were the prayers I prayed. And so, even in that condition, I, I knew my great-grandmother had prayed for me, and I, I still took scripture, and I read it to her. And um, this is interesting, too, my first date with Kim, I even told her, I said, 
great grandma, there's something special about that girl. I, I think I might marry her someday. It was my first date. And um, so we left. We, we went on our way. That summer, I, I came to a crisis point in my life where I said, I can't keep going my own way. I cannot do it anymore. I need to submit my heart, my life to Jesus Christ. Yes, I believe that he's my savior, that he rescued me. But you see, I had not fully surrendered to his lordship. He wasn't number one in my life. I was on the throne. I came to a moment where I just said, God, I can't do it anymore. And I remember in the shower in my dorm, my barracks, that I just said, God, cleanse me. I need you. Do you know one of the first prayers I had was, God, please let me see great-grandmother before she passes and goes to glory because I need to let her know her prayers have been answered. I used some leave time that I had, and I ended my time in the service a month early. I went to go see great-grandmother. I said, great-grandmother, thank you for praying for me. I have surrendered my heart to Jesus Christ. She was so elated. And I read her the Psalms. Two weeks later, she passed. And I'll tell you, I've never done this, but I wept. I wept. I cried for days. I was just, part of it was joy, part of it was sorrow. But her prayers were for me. They're, they're what I needed. Friends, let's not forget the importance of praying for others. Kim and I do this on a daily basis for our son, Jonathan. 13 months old, we do it. Kim just told me the other day, you know, Mark, I pray for future attacks against him. I pray that God will protect him. Friends, we need to be honest with God. We, we need to come to him and ask for his forgiveness and forgive others. Secondly, we can go to him and should go to him and ask for his protection from our own sinfulness and from the attacks that are coming upon our family. And then thirdly, we would do well to acknowledge God's power. We would do well to acknowledge God's power. Michael, age eight, once prayed, Dear Lord, please answer my prayers even if I am just a kid. How often do we send up prayers like Michael's? Even before we've said amen, doubt has entered our minds. We wonder if our words will go anywhere. Sadly, we even doubt that God will hear our whispers or cries for help. In stark contrast, the Lord's Prayer reminds us of the importance of acknowledging God's power. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Did you hear that? Yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Here's what another translation says. You're in charge. You can do anything you want. You're ablaze in beauty. Yes, yes, yes. True prayer means that we can approach God with confidence. And that he will hear us. He may not respond when and how we want him to, but he hears us. And he is working in our lives. We can confidently approach him. Hebrews 4, 16 says, Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. God does hear us, and he is working. Knowing that God's in control and that he has the power to handle all of our problems means that our prayers aren't useless babble. We can sincerely and confidently express our concerns and our cares to God. And if, we, and if we have faith, we can see mountains move. We can see miraculous things happen. <clears throat> I'd like to share a story with you. A recent leadership magazine highlighted a story from one of our own missionaries, Dick Brogdon. Dick was here a few months ago. 
I don't know if you've heard this story, but it really touched me and reminded me how powerful our Savior is. Do you mind if I just share it with you real quick? Dick Brogdon writes, Sudanese Muslims often curse each other by going to an Islamic witch doctor to ask him for an incantation from the Quran. One seals the Quranic verse in a small container, often a small tomato paste can, and buries it in the yard of the one of who they want evil to befall. A person might also throw the can on the rooftop or hide it somewhere in the victim's possessions. One day last year, I found such a can in my car. Immediately, I became violently sick with malaria. A few days prior, a Sudanese believer who started dabbling in the occult had threatened me. I ignored his threats. As the malaria became worse, my doctor put me in the hospital. I dislike hospitals. So I pleaded with the doctor to, to release me and let me go home, figuring I might as well be miserable at my own home. I did not sleep. I did not eat. My bed was torturous. I rolled around on the floor looking for comfort. Worse than physical pain was a spiritual darkness. I have had malaria before, but this time something sinister, something evil was added to the sickness, something from the pit of hell. It felt as demons were grabbing me by my shoulders and dragging me down into the abyss. I could not pray. I could hardly think. All was dark, terrifying, and life-taking. Yes, the malaria was real and serious, but it was compounded by a direct spiritual attack. I was at the end of myself. I prayed to die. One day I pulled myself up from the floor and struggled toward my bed. Barely able to talk, I simply mumbled through parched lips. Help me, Jesus. Help me, Jesus. Help me, Jesus. And fell backward onto the bed. And then Jesus walked into the room. I could not see him with my eyes, but I could feel him with my spirit. The evil presence immediately lifted. I felt a quickening in my body. I felt an overwhelming sense of God's love. All I wanted to do was love him back. Praise bubbled out of my mouth. I love you, Jesus. I praise you, Jesus. I worship you, Jesus. Immediately on the heels of sensing Jesus' love was a fierce desire to go tell my Muslim neighbor, Muhammad, that Jesus loves him too. I did not have the strength to stand, but if I could, but if I could have, I would have rushed out the door and embraced Muhammad and pleaded with him to accept the love of Jesus. The love that made my heart want to burst. At that moment, I began to recover. Two days later, I was completely whole. God delivered me from the evil one. Friends, God is powerful. God does hear prayers. By show of hands, how many of you have had a restored, I'm sorry, a broken relationship restored in your own life? God has answered a prayer and restored a broken relationship in your life or in the lives of someone you know. Show of hands. How many of you have had your own heart, your own broken heart mended? How many of you have seen God provide financially and with material needs when you knew there was no way? How many have seen God provide? How many of you have personally received healing in your body or known someone who has received a touch from the Lord? God answers prayer. God is awesome. He is powerful and he will hear us and he will respond 
Again, maybe not when and how we want him to. But he is working, working all things for good. Amen? Amen. Hey, let's not confine God in a box. We do that too often. We get very analytical about it, and we try to confine God. But God doesn't want to be in that box. This morning we talked about three truths that we see in the Lord's Prayer. We can, we should, and we are able to go to God to seek a pardon for our sins and ask Him to help us with forgiving others. This week I'm going to challenge you to pick one person, one person who has deeply hurt you. Maybe not you, maybe someone you love has been hurt by someone. I want you to spend the week praying for that person and praying for God to help you forgive them. Just pick one person, one name, write it down now if you want to, and pray for them and pray for you to forgive them. Secondly, as we wrap up our time here today, we need to remember that God wants us to seek his protection from ourselves and from the devil who wants to destroy our our lives. This week, I want you to pick one temptation. It might be uh, your temper. It might be profane talk. It might be road rage. It might be uh, lustful thoughts. It might be coveting things you really want. It may be uh, whatever it is. I want you to just pick one of them. And let's be honest now, we all have a lot to pick from. And I want you to set one or two boundaries, okay? Ask a Christian friend to challenge you in this area. Research and memorize Bible verses to pray when those temptations come. And avoid going down that road. Find a substitute, find a different way to avoid it. Seek God's pardon, seek his protection. And then finally, acknowledge God's power when you pray. You know that word amen means let it be so. Let it be so. When you pray this week, pray with confidence. And when you pray for your friends and family and anyone and everyone, know that God is hearing you and he is working. Would you join me in prayer right now? Heavenly Father, we, we thank you that you have given us this truth. You've given us this teaching on the heart, the essence of prayer. Your word says that you don't desire us to babble about and use meaningless and insignificant and insincere words. You just want us to be real and honest with you. God, we need your spirit to help us to be transparent, open. God, we need you to forgive us of our sins and we need you to help us to let go and help us forgive those who have wronged us and our loved ones. Lord, we need your protection. Each of us, in our own way, we struggle with things. Some of them are deep-rooted sins, deep-rooted temptations. Some of them are just issues we've just noticed in our character or attitude. We need your character. We need your attitude, Lord. We need you to help us fight the temptation to sin. God, this week, I pray your protection on, on everyone here. I pray that your spirit protect them, that your angels surround them, and that the enemy would not attack. Lord, give them the strength to fight off the attacks. Finally, Lord, we do, we really do acknowledge your power. We acknowledge your power to transform lives, to bring peace, to bring hope, to bring joy, to bring forgiveness. We acknowledge it, God. Help us never to doubt you. 
Help us to trust and trust that you are working on our behalf and that you are working all things out for good. We are, we are going to face doubt, but God, we need your spirit to help us. Lord, we, we commit this truth. We, we want to practice it. We want to live it. But we need your spirit to help it stick. Lord, be with us today. In your name I pray. Amen.